Good morning. It's nice to be out of the heat. I'm sure you guys all feel the same. Um, it's been quite an intense heat that we have going on the last couple days. Um, this morning, I wanted to be in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And I also wanted to give, as you're turning there, a little update about the Sunday school program and as we move forward with the Sunday school program. We decided on a curriculum for Sunday school by Answers in Genesis. And I think if you were involved with the VBS, they used the Answers in Genesis curriculum for the VBS. And I heard it was very, very good. I heard that it spurred on a lot of good conversation. And so we hope that it'll do the same with the Sunday school. It's a four-year program that we go from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and, and it repeats itself over again. And each, there's a curriculum for each grade level that accommodates the, the, the learning um, ability for each grade. And so we're hoping that um, this will really help the children grow to learn about the Lord, uh, to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to really get the whole counsel of God. And so that's our goal for Sunday school. And so I just wanted to give you guys, uh, many of you guys, uh, parents, and then those of you who are sitting here don't, a lot of times we'll get a chance to go over there and see what's going on or hear what's going on. So I just wanted to share that with all of you. Um, <clears throat> so growing up, uh, I don't know how many of you guys ended up getting into this, this uh, phase, I guess you could call it, but uh, I started playing uh, video games at a young age. And, you know, I think it's my generation maybe that we heard it a lot where you know, video games aren't going to get you anywhere, you know. There's no, there's no future in video games. And hopefully um, none, of the ki none of your kids will hear this <laughs> and, and think that uh, it's a, a good career option. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But um, that's what I was told. You know, I started playing video games, I think, when I was 11 or 12 years old. Started playing with uh, Nintendo and uh, the old Mario uh, games. And, I mean, you know, it's so fun. You get sucked into it. And then uh, all of a sudden, an hour or two passes, and you don't even realize it. You know, it's, time goes really fast when you play video games. Well, there was a, a period uh, when I started college where I got into this computer game called League of Legends. And this game literally sucked up my life, sucked up my time where I was doing this, I mean, countless hours in a day. It was, I mean, I remember being with my friends during finals week, and we should be studying for finals, but we're all in a, a room together with our laptops playing this video game. And it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and we're still playing this video game at you know, this time early in the morning, and, and we're telling ourselves, this is, this is really dumb. But we're still doing it together. And I mean, I think we crack open our books at 5 a.m. and we try to study and cram a little bit before our final. I would highly not recommend that because that was insane. But um, I mean, there was a period of, of about three years where this game really took up all my time. And just before this, probably a year or two, I, was, I started really getting into the Word of God. I started really studying. But once I started playing this video game, there was no time for anything else but this video game or this you know, computer game. 
And I, I spent a, a huge bulk of my time for a few years in my 20s just playing this game. And I just, I just share this illustration with you, with you because I want to ask you this morning, do you render unto God what is God's? And I want to go into that as we go into Matthew chapter 22. And it's going to be Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 22, and Mark chapter 12, verse 13 through 17, and Luke 20, 20 through 26. I give you those other references because they're all the same story, but a little different perspective. And we know that different perspectives are good. You know, a detective wants to see different perspectives. But we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 22 and starting in verse 15. Let me turn there real fast. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. So we see the Pharisees and Herodians. I was thinking about it. I kind of mashed their names together, and I decided to call them the Phodians. P-H-O-D-I-A-N-S. Uh, sort of a fake, phony uh, name, or you know, I made this name up. Um, but kind of like, I don't know if anybody ever heard this before, but... I think it was when I was 12, 13 years old, uh, people used to say, uh, that's fat with a PH, right? And it's like, that's cool, but it's with a PH. I don't, I don't know why. And there's all these other innuendos that people come up with nowadays. But So I call these guys the Pharisees and Herodians the Phodians. And the Herodians were followers of King Herod. They wanted to restore Herod to the throne in Judea and other areas. And they were political foes of the Pharisees. But in this instance, they, they both were out to get Jesus. They both hated Jesus enough where they put their hatred aside for one another. They've come together and decided, how can we trap the Lord Jesus Christ? So we have the Herodians. And the book of Luke, in the account there, they call these guys spies. These guys wanted to set a trap. And the word ensnared is used there in some versions. And it's the idea that they wanted to catch Jesus like someone would catch an animal. The goal was entrapment, tri tricking Jesus into indicting himself. The Pharisees, what I don't get is why or how do the Pharisees at this point, they don't realize that Jesus knows everything. You know, they've gone through and they've tested Jesus, they've tested Jesus, they've seen Jesus do all these miracles, and yet they still don't get it that Jesus knows everything. He's all-powerful. We know that he's all-powerful. They didn't at that point, but they saw his miracles. They, I mean, you would think they would get the hint. Jesus, Jesus is, this, this is kind of a guy maybe we shouldn't mess with. 
but they, they didn't get it. And after all the confrontations or, um, should I say, uh, demolition, because every time these guys ran into Jesus, he just kind of smoked them with his words, smoked them with everything that he did, and just proved himself to be who he was, that he was the Son of God. And, you know, they still didn't know better, and they still kept coming to mess with Jesus. And Jesus had an answer for everything they did. And yet they still didn't realize that this is an unwinnable battle. I, I made that word up also, unwinnable. It's, it's actually not a word. Um, but un unwinnable battle. Everything that Jesus said was in perfect line with what the Father wanted to say. And in uh, John chapter 12, John chapter 12, Verse 47 through 50, it says, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. This is very, I mean, you know, penetrating for, it should be very convicting for the Pharisees if they had heard this. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So we see here, Jesus was given the words to speak from the Father. And in verse 50, I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So the words that Jesus speaks, the things that he says is from the Father. And yet here we see the Jews trying to, the, the Phodians trying to trap Jesus in his words. We know that, that Jesus never misspoke. We often do, but he never did. Because the Pharisees failed in their accusation, accusations of Jesus based on what he, what he did, and they failed time and time again, I think they move on to trying to just catch him, to, to catch him in a slip of what he said. Maybe he'll slip up in his words. And so here, that's what they're trying to do. And we, we, we know that when we, we look in, in the end of the Gospels, when Jesus is on trial and they're trying to prosecute Jesus, they do it based on what he says. There are some who use Jesus' words, God's words, for their own purposes. Our goal, to make a little application for ourselves in, in, in what Jesus said, it should be like Jesus to say only what God wants. That should be our goal. You know, we're, we're supposed to speak, in First Peter it says, as the oracles of God. We're supposed to speak as if we're speaking, we are speaking, if you're a, a believer, for God. You're an ambassador for Christ. Verse 16, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to anyone. And so I see the scene unfolding in this way. The, the Pharisees and Herodians, the Phodians, have come together. They've made this plan, or they've, they've come up with the plan, and they think it's, I, I, I feel, they think it's foolproof. They think that, this is, that we've, we've got Jesus now. You know, we, we're going to get him. Because this, this question that we're going we're gonna to pose to him, he's not going to be able to answer it. Because the way that they word this question the way they word it is, and before I get into the way they word it, it's, it's interesting because 
it says they, the Pharisees send their disciples. They, they don't even go themselves anymore. They're sending their, their disciples, the, the B team, if you will, right? A lot of times what happens is, uh, and I've, I've had this happen to me. I've had uh, some witnesses come to my door. I don't know if you've had this happen to you. They ring on your door or they knock on your door. And, and you get in, if some of you, if, you're, if you want to, you can get into a conversation with these guys. And you, you can, I, I, so I heard one of these guys out. He, he was a young kid. He was probably 18 or 19. So I listened to what he had to say. And I was, he was showing me his Bible, and he opened it. I was looking at some of the things that he, he read from the Bible, his Bible. It was, I was thinking, that's not in there. And then some of the things that were in there, I was thinking, wait, what? This, what, what Bible is this? And I didn't want to offend him, so... Uh, we got into a conversation. I actually got an, a, a Bible from inside the house, and I got into a conversation with him. And it was a really good conversation. The, it, the next day, interestingly, uh, he didn't show up, but someone else knocked on the door. And it was someone who was older. And I guess this person was maybe the, the A team now, because the B team already came, and then the A team was showing up, right? And so the, the A team, I guess, maybe shows up and I get into conversation with them. It's interesting because that's the way they work there with that group. But here you see the opposite. You see the, the A team came first. They couldn't handle it. So whatever reason, they send out the B team because they think maybe, the, I don't know, maybe the B team can handle Jesus. I don't know. Or they just don't want to get humiliate, humiliated again. Um, but you see that here in verse 16 how they try to come to Jesus and they sort of compliment him. They say, teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one for you are not partial with anyone. Obviously, we know that Jesus spoke the truth. He always spoke the truth. He, he spoke everything in line with the, what the Father said and he said it perfectly. And if these Photians meant what they said, they might have realized that maybe Jesus is that way because, or I'm sorry, I just totally jumped down. Um, <laughs> Jesus is, is I mean, the, li listen to what he says about them. He calls them hypocrites, you know, moving forward. And you see that Jesus knows their heart. You know, he, he's not a person. You don't come to Jesus and you, you say something. He, he's a God who, who knows all things. We know that. We, we look at his word. He's omniscient. He knows what, everything that, that goes on. And when Jesus says, when they say Jesus is not, not partial to any, some Bible versions, they, they say Jesus is not swayed by appearances. He pays no attention to who they are. He's not, it says Jesus is not a respecter. God is not a respecter of persons. He, he loves everyone, but he also, he's a God who has to judge. He's a God who looks at everybody's intentions. He looks at everybody's heart, and he knows it. And so when they're coming to him, and they, they give this, this false, this false um, praise, he knows exactly what's going on in their heart. Praising God with the right intentions is important as he knows all. He knows everything. The Pharisees are a, a model of how not to praise God. They might have said the right things, but their heart was not in the right place. And I think that's something that Every time I, I look at myself and I ask the Lord to search me, that's something that uh, I'm very convicted about, that I'm afraid of. That when you say, 
all that thrills my soul is Jesus, it's, it's hard to say sometimes because that's not always true. It's not always all the time, you know, every day where Jesus is a, is a person that thrills my soul. And again, the Pharisees are a model of, of how not to do it, of doing it with the wrong heart. Verse 17, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? After Julius Caesar, the title of Caesar kind of became a title for all the Roman emperors. And the Caesar at this time was Tiberius. And the, I, was, I looked into, well, what is this poll tax to Caesar? What, I mean, what are, what are they giving to Caesar? And the theologian Barclay claims that there were three regular taxes. There was the ground tax, which was a 10% tax on grain production and a 20% tax on oil and wine. There was an income tax, which was 1% of a man's income. And there was a poll tax paid by every man from 14 to 65 years of age and every woman from 12 to 65 years of age. This tax was a denarius a year. And so this was a, a tax that everybody had to pay between the ages of men 14 and 65 and women 12 to 65. And this particular poll tax, uh, the, Carson says, paying the poll tax was the most obvious sign of submission to Rome. Zealots claimed the poll tax was a God-dishonoring badge of slavery to the pagans. So there was this, this argument amongst, I mean, I, I feel that maybe the, the Herodians would have been on the side of, let's pay this tax. We want to please the Roman government. We want to have Herod back, you know, so we want to pay this tax and please him. And maybe the Jews were saying, no, that's not right. We can't, we're not, we don't want to show that we're paying money to pagans. The purpose of this line of questioning is to accuse Jesus of one of two answers they thought were possible. They thought, they thought there were two answers possible, and Jesus would either answer one way or another, and either way, they were going to be able to, to get him. They were going to get him right here. And the thing is, Jesus, Jesus answers with so much wisdom, and he comes up with an option that, that they had no idea was an option. It's interesting. Jesus answered that they should pay this poll tax to Caesar. If, if Jesus answered that way, he would be denounced by the Jews. He would be, he, they would call him a traitor, and they would say, how could you say you're supposed to make, pay this tax to this, this country when you're supposed to be part of the, the Jewish nation? And maybe group together with the Herodians who welcomed the Roman governance. If Jesus said they should pay the tax, they would have said Jesus was an enemy, or if Jesus said they should not pay the tax, Jesus would have been accused of being someone who wanted to start a riot, who wanted to be an insurrectionist, who wanted to be a zealot. So either way, they, were, they, they had Jesus here. If he answers this, we're going we're gonna to accuse him or we're going to get him. If he answers this way, we're still going to accuse him and we're going to get him. The people who heard this question from the Photians, they probably were asking this of themselves. Is it okay? Is it okay for us to pay this tax to a pagan emperor? Is that okay for us? Some of the people might have honestly been asking themselves this question. They might have thought, this is, 
this is this is a sincere question from the the these Fodians over here. They're they're coming and they're really asking Jesus because a lot of them might have been honestly wondering the same question. And we're gonna we're gonna look at Jesus' answer here. But it's interesting because at work, you know, I have a I think I have I, I don't know exactly, but I think I have over Four to 450 coworkers at the post, post office in Pasadena that I work at. So you get into a lot of conversations with different people. And one of the things I heard was about how to uh, cheat on taxes and how to, you know, and there, there's, I, I didn't know there were all these ways that people do in order to cheat on their taxes, but this is the conversation that was going on and how to commit tax fraud, really. And I was thinking to myself, this, this is crazy. Like, what if they get caught? You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they didn't think about the consequences. But I wonder if any of the, the Fodians, I wonder if the Pharisees or the Herodians, maybe they ever thought to themselves, maybe we'll withhold some of the tax here, you know? I don't know. But this is, they come up with this question to Jesus. Should we pay this poll tax to Caesar? Verse 18, but Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? We see, I, you may at first think, my goodness, is Jesus, this is a little bit harsh of you to, to answer in this way right off the bat, but you have to realize Jesus has been dealing with these guys for a while. He's been dealing with, with them for actually maybe a, a couple years or a few years at this point. And so he recognizes, and he also recognizes their true intention is actually for evil. They're trying to trap Jus in what he says. And Jesus', Jesus unapologet, unapologetic response, uh, these guys were uh, really just he calls them hypocrites. They're actors, they're pretenders. They have this, their true faith, but really they cover it like an actor back in the day with a mask that is this false. They put on a, a, a false narrative of their life. They put on a, a show for people to see that we are holy, we are righteous. Verse 19, show me the coin used for the poll tax, and they brought him a denarius. I kind of picture as Jesus asked for this coin, for this tax, uh, some people thought, I do have this denarius somewhere, so everyone kind of starts shuffling around trying to find this denarius in their pockets or in the, their purses or something. And someone produces this denarius. And Jesus says in verse 20, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? The inscription was most likely of Tiberius' face, the emperor, the Caesar. His name and title probably would have been on this coin, on this denarius. And in verse 20, 21, they say to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. When I, when I read that, it just kind of, each time I read it, it just blows me away to think about, and I'm, I'm jumping a little bit to, to the application aspect of, are we, are we giving to God what is God's? Jesus reveals this perspective that nobody thought of. Nobody thought of this. They thought Jesus was either going to say, yes, pay this poll tax, or no, don't pay this poll tax. And Jesus comes up with this answer that they didn't expect. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we are supposed to 
in the second, latter half of the verse, fear God, honor the king. Right? We're supposed to fear God, honor the king. And this go, is perfect with what Jesus is saying. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. The things that, it, it, the, the face of Caesar is on this coin. Give it to Caesar. I think there's a, a, a couple ways you can take this. You can, there's a, a, the first way is they should give this denarius to the Roman government, but their tribute to the Lord should not be neglected. So they're giving to Caesar what is due him, the coin that is due him, but don't forget about God. A second way you can look at this is, this may refer to the fact that Caesar may own and command a few things, while God owns and commands all things. You give a little to Caesar, a little coin to Caesar, but you give all to God. I think that's something that we have to reconcile with ourselves. We have to search ourselves and look at our own lives and figure out, is that, is that what we're doing? Because when I look back at the time that I've wasted in my life, and I have wasted a lot of time, and I'm not speaking for any of you, but in my own personal life, I have wasted a lot of time. I have done things that do not please the Lord. I have, I have used my time unwisely. I've used my time for selfish purposes. And I, I really think we have to ask ourselves, are we rendering to God what is God's? Uh, a quote from Clark, it establishes the limits, the rights, and distinguishes the jurisdiction of two empires of heaven and earth. The image of princes stamped on their coin denotes that, denotes that temporal things belong all to their government. The image of God stamped on the soul denotes that all its faculties, powers belong to the Most High and should be employed in His service. What really convicted me about this passage and this aspect of giving to God what is God's is you look and you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it talks about the fact that we are made in the likeness of God. That's how we're made. We are made in the likeness of God. These coins that were given to Caesar, they were made in his likeness. His image was on this coin. But we are made in the likeness of God. And if we understand that we're made in the likeness of God, God created us. What are we, what are we rendering to him? What are we giving to him? It's sad because I try to think of a percentage in my life of how much I give to him even nowadays. And to be honest, I'd, I'd probably peg the percentage at under 50%, to be honest. I don't give him enough time. I don't meditate on his word enough. You know, if the, if the Israelites had rendered unto God what God deserved, they would, they would probably have never been under Roman authority. Because God would never have had to judge them for their sin of turning away from the Lord. But we know that they did. And so God had to judge. And now here they were under Roman authority. 
And then verse 22, And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. All, all these, these Photians were, they were baffled. They were befuddled. They didn't, they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to say to him. They thought their, their, this trap that they had of getting Jesus for what he said was foolproof, but it didn't work. Jesus came up with an answer that blew them away, and they, they just walked away. They, they, they had no, no more response. And I just, you know, you look at your own life. I, I look at my own life. I examine it. There are, you know, we look at how they were, the Pharisees these, and the Photians, they were trying to entrap Jesus in what he said. I think it's important that, you know, sometimes looking at our, the things that we say, the things that we do, how we pray, is our, is our purpose to, to speak as if we're speaking for the Lord? And if we're praising God, how is our intentions? Are we coming to God with a heart that is really wanting to praise God, really wanting to thank Him, really wanting to worship Him? Because honestly, sometimes that heart isn't there for me. It's hard. And it, it gets harder and harder if you're not in prayer, if you're not reading the Word. It does. It gets harder and harder. And I can attest to that in my own life. And finally, we are to be in obedience to the government. God never says disobey the government, to revolt against the government. And here even he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Right? We're supposed to pay our taxes. We're supposed to follow what the government says. But there's a higher power that we serve. There's a God who is far greater than Caesar, who owns all things, who created us, all of mankind, in his likeness. If you don't, if you haven't rendered unto God, what is God? The first thing I think that you have to render is yourself. You have to come to a point in your own life where first you recognize that you're a sinner. You go before the Lord and you ask for forgiveness of your sins. And you go to the Lord Jesus for that forgiveness for what he's done on the cross. And then, we, that's just the beginning. Now we have to give him our life. We have to serve him. How are we doing this in our own lives today? That's a, a question that I hope we can continue to ask ourselves in this assembly from day to day. What are we doing for the Lord? What are we rendering for God? It's not, it's not easy to do it. It's hard work to serve the Lord. You know, God never said it was going to be an easy road. Going, you know, building a habit of, of reading the word, of praying, it's not something that comes overnight. I just wanted to read one illustration from my phone real fast and end with this. So there's a story of a little boy who wanted $100 very badly. And he prayed to God for a whole week. God, I really want this $100. Please give me $100. In Jesus' name, amen. So he decided to write God a letter requesting this $100. When the post office got the letter addressed to God, they didn't know what to do with it. I'm not sure if this actually happens, but they forwarded it to the White House. 
So the, the, pre the White House gets it, and whoever gets it at the White House decides, I'm going to give it to the president. So the president gets this letter, opens it, reads it, about this boy wanting $100 from God. And he was impressed by this letter. He was touched and, and amused. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to send this little boy $5. So he sent this little boy $5, and the boy was, you know, he was, he was ecstatic. He I mean, I got $5 from God, right? This is what he believed. He, he believed that he got $5 from God. This is amazing. God sent me $5. And he sat down, and he wrote a thank you note immediately, which read like this. Dear God, thank you very much for sending the money. However, I noticed for some reason you had sent it through Washington, and as usual, they kept most of it. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just a, a, a silly illustration, but, you know, the president had the ability to give $100. This boy who wanted $100, it would have been nothing to him, but he gives him $5. And, and I, asked, I have to ask you this this morning. Are we, are we like this? Are we giving God $5 instead of 100 Knowing that we can give him 100 I think that's something that hopefully we can leave with. And it'll, it's a challenge for each of us this morning. That we want to give God our best. We want to give our, God our all. Uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning that as we read in your word this confrontation between uh, the, the Photians and, and you and how they came to question you, they came to trap you, and Lord Jesus, you, you outwitted them. You, were, you outsmarted them and you showed them that you are God, that there is, is none other like you, and you continue to prove yourself over and over again. And Father, as we read in your word how you are a God who is faithful, you are a God who, who answers people. Father, we, we ask that you would answer us as we want to give ourselves to you. We want to serve you wholeheartedly. We want to serve you with the right heart. But sometimes, or oftentimes, or many times, we, we don't have a genuine heart for the Lord. And we just ask that you would help us to serve you in a manner that's pleasing to you, that we would render everything we have for you and that we would remember that as, as we speak, as if we speak for you, and we should not take that lightly. We live this life, we should live this life as we live it, as if we're living like you. We ask that as we, we go forth that you would, you would bless us, that you would help us, give us the strength, give us wisdom, in these things. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.